Ew! Smells like it's time for another Shy Life Podcast! <laughs> Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three. Good luck, studio. Oh, it's the Shy Life Podcast! Oh, there's gonna be some drama ahead. All I wanted was a pie. And then I hatched out of an egg. Okay, bring the mic over. He's ready to record. Hello. It's the quiet ones you've got to watch, you know. Is it metaphorical? Is it is it deep? Is it deep? Good boy. He said all that shy is right. Blimey, <laughs> Governor. It's the Shy Life Podcast. Hello, Paul. Yeah, Excellent. Bonjour et bienvenue au podcast de Charlotte. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Charlotte Podcast with me, Paul the Shy How are you doing? I'm all right. I've got a special guest. Yes, it's Muffly on tour. He's here. Not not making music, but talking about it, hopefully. Although, yeah, I mean, maybe there'll be some Muffly music too, so it'll, it'll probably be a bit of both. But uh, anyway, let's run that theme music, and when we come back, um, we'll um, we'll see what he wants to talk about. Run that theme music, darling. It's the Shy Life Podcast. <laughs> yeah, but it's a positive thing, Paul. The Shy Life, the Shy Life. You won't find a cast of characters like this everywhere. Uh, I'll, I'll go anywhere for potato. Delicious. Hello, Captain. How are you? You quite like a big bang, don't you, Paul? Go Shy Yeti. Oh my, he hasn't found out my secret. I think he has. I love the Yeti test, it's my favourite thing. If you thought that was bad, just listen to this. Yeah, I am strangely drawn to Yeti Uncle John's ankles as well. But has the Shy Life podcast slowed down? I don't think so. Has anyone seen my hot sausage? It's all green and we see it. Yum, 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 yum. It's the Shy Life Podcast. <laughs> I'd like that, yeah. <laughs> Marvellous. Marvellous, Paul. Hi there. And we're back. Hello, Muffley. What are you doing? How, how are you doing, I should say? <laughs> um, I'm very well, thank you. It's uh, funny you should say that I have been doing music this weekend. Mm. I, um, I am working on the new Vocoder track, which uh, was not going very well and i decided to actually bin the whole thing but since i did that it was actually quite a sort of a positive thing to do to bin it because mm. it literally cleared the decks and the thing that i've come up with which hopefully you'll get to hear soon is much simpler and easier in fact the track will be called easy so there you go mm. and um yeah i've been doing quite a lot of music this weekend uh bizarrely the band that i used to be in over like 25 years ago has decided to reactivate. Uh, now, it's an interesting one because the drummer lives in Paris and the singer-guitarist lives in Australia. So we've got this very 21st century logistical thing going on where we're sort of WhatsApping each other with like snippets of ideas and things. So I've been doing a bit of that this morning as well. And I suppose that dovetails into what I'm going to talk about today, which is prog rock, which um, was very much part of my formative years. And I think a lot of musicians will sort of have a fondness or a knowledge of prog rock because it tends to be sort of more the fiddly stuff. But today I thought I'd just give you a brief overview. And I was just going to talk about 
five albums, five prog rock albums. Now, this is not in any way definitive or exhaustive, because otherwise, you know, we could be here longer than a Carl Palmer drum solo. But um, <laughs> I've decided to um, look at five albums and we'll discuss those um, in turn. So um, before we get into those five albums, I guess the origins of prog, you could say that it began with like Sergeant Pepper, because that was quite a sort of um, groundbreaking album in terms of what it was doing, interesting song structures, interesting use of instruments, tape loops and so forth. And that came out in 1967. And from then on, sort of psychedelia very much sort of, you know, blossomed and burdened and things. And um, prog rock was very much, I think, a product of psychedelia. So the first album I'm going to talk about is um, In the Court of the Crimson King by King Crimson, which came out, I think, in late 68, early 69. And King Crimson is a band who are technically still going, actually. They've sort of stopped and started many times over the years. But their main sort of leader is Robert Fripp, who is a very sort of technical guitarist, but not in a kind of bluesy kind of martial stack kind of way it's more from a sort of classical sort of leaning and some jazz influences thrown in as well so it's not sort of wailing pentatonic guitar solos that you get to hear from him and with the cause of the crimson king it kind of set a template for a lot of prog rock albums because you have songs that are sort of maybe longer than usual and have very sort of odd structures uh the portentous lyrics i think they had an actual uh, poet that did their lyrics at the time, Pete Simfield. And then in terms of going back to the instruments, uh, one of the main sort of features was the Mellotron. Now, the Mellotron was basically a very early form of a sampler. Um, no digital technology back then, but what a sampler does, you press a key on the keyboard and it plays a tape loop. And so these tape loops can be strings, uh, flutes, Going back to the Beatles, the introduction to Strawberry Fields um, is done on a Mellotron. And so in the court, the Crimson King was kind of sort of, you know, a starting point, I think, for sort of a lot of the prog rock albums. So uh, King Crimson went on in a similar direction for a number of years, but they uh, first disbanded, I think, in 1974, because I think at the time, Robert Fripp, where he was into sort of all forms of um, Eastern philosophy and things and decided that sort of he wanted just to explore some other things rather than music and um, it was very much a case of quitting while while you're ahead I think as well I mean I'll come on to it a bit later about how prog in some respects had a similar sort of lifespan as glam rock that started in the late 60s and then it's sort of main sort of heyday was the early 70s but by 73 74 like glam rock was on its way out as well and i think mark bolan wasn't as big as he was and like bowie obviously had sort of metamorphosized into different things as well so that's the... would it, i was gonna say would, would be, I'm, I'm sort of i guess i'm sort of familiar with around the same time as, as prog starts you've got like the concept album um like the concept album in the form of things like the kinks the village green preservation society which isn't prog but prog sort of did take on concept albums as part of their uber didn't they very much so yeah we'll we'll touch on that um i mean the other sort of big concept album was um tommy by the who which oh, they called a rock opera but again that was more just traditional instruments it was pretty yeah. much mostly guitar bass and drums 
a bit of brass overdubs by Johnny and Swissle and a bit of keyboards, but it was more sort of traditional sounding in general. So, um, yeah, the concept album did become a feature of prog rock. Mm. So that was King Crimson. Now, the second album I'm going to go on to is the Yes album by Yes. Now, Yes were very much seen as like sort of real sort of flashy sort of you know virtuoso instrumentalists. And their first two albums, which they'd done in the 60s, hadn't really made much headway. It was more they would sort of take a song and they would sort of, you know, sort of yes it up, if that's the right word, mm. and sort of do sort of all weird and wonderful things. But in terms of sort of success, they weren't really going anywhere. So what they did in sort of classic sort of 60s fashion, they um, went to the country in a cottage and got it together, as they say. Mm. And so they basically knew that sort of they had to sort of make some breakthrough with this album. Otherwise, you know, the record company was going to drop them. And so um, they had a new guitarist in who is called Steve Howe. And again, a bit like Robert Fripp, not like a traditional sort of blues based guitarist. So, yeah, leaning on classical folk and jazz. He was very sort of into sort of a lot of jazz, like Wes Montgomery and things. And so you had this sort of weird mix of put together. And in terms of the album, it had tracks that sort of were sort of complex, but sort of still easy on the ear, if that makes sense. And also a thing that Yes did, they were very strong on uh, vocal harmonies. So there's lots of sort of three-part vocal harmonies going on. And their singer, John Anderson, has a very sort of unique high vocal range. I mean, he obviously went on to work with Vangelis later on in the future. And so the Yes album is my second choice. And um, ironically, uh, Rick Wakeman, who probably a lot of people have heard of, wasn't on that album. He joined, I think, the album after that, which is called Fragile. But the Yes album is good because it's one of those things, and speaking as someone who's been in bands, it definitely sounds like everyone's pulling in the right direction rather than sort of playing against each other. And the results were sort of very good. And... um, it really was sort of their breakthrough and they sort of um, became more sort of popular in the UK and they broke America as well. So that's the second one, the Yes album. Now, following on from Yes, it's another British band that (laughs) have had a very interesting lifespan and some people know them more for their second half of their career. It's um, Genesis. Mm. But the Genesis album we're going to talk about is called Foxtrot. And at the time... Peter Gabriel was the vocalist with Genesis. And Genesis, in some respects, was seen as a bit of a poor man's yes. They were doing the same kind of things in terms of arrangements and sort of keyboards and this, that and the other. And they they had probably more of an English feel, I'd say. There was like a sort of Peter Gabriel with his sort of public school background was sort of very into sort of um, mythology and nursery rhymes and things. And they did this album called Foxtrot and the first track is called Watcher of the Skies which is based on a sci-fi novel which I can't remember the name of but again starts off uh, with a huge sort of mellow, Mellotron introduction so you pretty know what, what you're going to get and then um, there's sort of various tracks on the first side which again sort of have a sort of kind of a post psychedelia feel but this sort of English sort of sort of forgottenness I'd call it but then the big, big track on Foxtrot is something called Supper's Ready. And apparently this 
was influenced when uh, Peter Gabriel was in a flat with his then girlfriend, and apparently there was some poltergeist, which obviously you'd like from sort of your aspect of things. Yeah. And um, <laughs> so there was some weird, weird shenanigans going on, and um, he did a sort of the real Peter Cushion thing. He got like a couple of candlesticks, whatever it was, and did a crucifix to sort of scare off the evil spirits. And this was the start of this sort of mammoth trap called Supper's Ready. And it was, obviously it's got like a rig- religious allegories and things. But the thing is, is that it goes on for about oof, nearly 20 minutes, but it's in lots of little bits. So it's kind of like sort of musical tapas, if you want to call it that. So there'll be, you know, like a sort of nice sort of acoustic sort of guitar thing. And then it goes into like a heavier sort of thing. And then it goes into something else and then something else. And then again, like with a lot of prog rock sort of uh, compositions, it resolves itself. They quite a lot of prog rock musicians or music journalists would talk about them being, you know, neoclassical. And it could be a bit pretentious how sort of people went on thinking that sort of it was on a par with classical music, where really it was just kind of sort of, um, you know, sort of, dipping their toe into that area. And um, obviously at the time, Genesis, uh, Phil Collins, he was the drummer. And um, I know sort of people have got various <laughs> thoughts about Phil Collins, but one thing, his drumming is absolutely superb. And again, going back to my experiences of being in a band, one of the things that you really need to have to have a good cohesive band is a good drummer. And if you listen to his work on that, it's it's so tight, so sort of... Um, uh, clever and sort of works well and i think because he was like sort of a uh, the cheeky working class boy with all these public school boys he was able to sort of um you know bring them down to earth a bit more as well so uh that was foxtrot and then after foxtrot they did another album called selling england by the pound which kind of developed what they'd done with foxtrot and then they did their their big concept album in 1974 called the lamb lies down on broadway but it basically sort of tore them apart. And after that, Peter Gabriel left. And pretty much, as they say, the rest is history. A certain Mr. Collins decided to step out from the drum seat. And still their 70s stuff was proggy. But then Phil Collins's influence definitely sort of increases as time goes by. And I guess by 1978, when they do Follow You, Follow Me, that sets, sets the template for you know, what happens to Phil Collins's career and Genesis's career in the, the 80s. So, yeah, that was Foxtrot. So we're three down. And number four is Mike Oldfield, Tubular Bells. Now, again, um, very much a concept album. It's just basically two tracks, one on each side of the um, LP, as it were. And like, as I was saying, it's... A musical tapas where it's got different themes i mean everyone will know like the tinkly piano bit which was used in the exorcist yeah. and so it's like it wasn't really sort of something people had heard before like this just continuous piece of music and there wasn't really sort of lyrics it was just like sort of shifting sort of forms in terms of the music and um the interesting thing as well is that um Mike Oldfield had been a bit of a sort of jobbing musician. He'd been playing bass for a musician called Kevin Ayres, who'd been in a band called Soft Machine previously. Um, so he had his foot in the door, and basically what happened is that uh, Richard Branson, <laughs> and I've said about him, uh, was setting up uh, Manor Studios. And what Mike Oldfield would do is use the downtime during the night to record his stuff. 
And the interesting thing is, um, says me, who's, you know, looking at my MacBook as I speak. And, you know, I was using Logic Pro uh, this morning to do my things and overdubbing and laying. There was none of that. So it was all meticulous and all by hand. So it must have taken hours and hours and hours to do. And so, um, yeah, Tubular Bells was quite quite the thing in 1973. And, of course, went on to sort of kickstart Virgin Records and stuff. And then after that, Mike Oldfield followed pretty much in a similar vein through the 70s. And then, I suppose, a bit like Genesis or with pressure from the record company in the 80s, he did more poppy stuff. And, of course, the one everybody will remember, I guess, is uh, Moonlight Shadow. Shadow. Um, and then he's... He's sort of done bits and pieces. I mean, obviously, we should mention the um, the Blue Peter theme, which was a revelation, not so much for the actual music, but when they showed how he was creating it in the studio. And it was like, oh, so one person can just do all this stuff and sort of multi-track things. You don't need to be in a, f- a full band and have arguments and creative disagreements. You know, you can just do it all yourself and just sort of plow your own furrow. So that was always very interesting. It was... Watching him doing that Blue Peter theme and also um, Peter Howell doing the Doctor Who theme, which really struck out to me at the time. Um, Mike Oldfield also has a connection with Abbott. Do you know it? I do, because he did a version of, I think it's as a rival. He did a rival, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he did. That's right. And, um, and I had a friend, I, I actually, you're, 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 there are various different things. I'll react to some of the things you said at the end, but I will say whilst this, whilst I think about it. I had a friend at primary school who, I don't know, he was probably only eight or nine or ten, but he, he was really into Mike Oldfield. I'm not, I think his dad was involved in music, so it might have been that his dad had influenced him. But um, I remember him being very, he got me into a track of Mike Oldfield's called The Lake from Discovery, which um, I, I still play quite a bit. Um, but but he, he sort of knew I liked Abba and was a little bit, snobby and then i remember saying to him you know that arrival that you know that track but my 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 by mike oldfield on that album um that's a, an abba cover and he and he suddenly had a complete sort of oh really <laughs> complete mm. complete turnaround please continue so yeah that was mike oldfield and the final one i'm going to do is <laughs> it's an obvious one but it's a good one to mention, it's Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. Now, Dark Side of the Moon, you know, sold so many millions and millions of copies. And it was that thing where you could do prog, but it was accessible. So it was kind of sort of, um, you know, sort of stealth prog, if you want to call it that. But I think the big difference with Pink Floyd um, and Dark Side of the Moon is the lyrics. So Roger Waters' lyrics aren't about fairies and unicorns and, you know, sort of ogre battles and this, that and the other. It's very much about sort of, you know, life and sort of things that happen in life. And I think the general theme of Dark Side of the Moon was just about sort of <laughs> madness, you know, that, that old chestnut. And so in terms of Pink Floyd, there was the four of them. Uh, Roger Waters, bass, David Gilmore guitar, Richard Wright keyboards, Nick Mason drums, and um, uh, Waters, Gilmore, and right would do singing and then this one they sort of brought in other musicians so there's some sax and some backing singers so it sounded a bigger album it was it sounded like a bigger production and they'd got their hands on some new synths so one of them is a thing called a vcs3 
which very much looks like a sort of telephone exchange. And the VCS3 is good for basically making squiggly, wibbly noises and things. And so it's heard quite prominently on it's either the VCS3 or the synthy on the Pink Floyd track on the run. The it's not a very good impression, Andrew, but. Um, it had like um, sequencing sequencer properties as well, and again, sequencing was um, something which was very much in its infancy. Um, that in order to do that, you had to sort of program the the note sequence by hand. And so, yeah, Dark Side of the Moon, I think, um, kind of sort of crystallizes all aspects of prog. You've got sort of the you know prog instrumentation in terms of synths. You've got some guitar solos in there. You sort of got the deep and heavy lyrics, and but you still got you know songs that don't necessarily sort of adhere to like a normal sort of you know three minute sort of pop hit kind of thing. But um, I would say sort of like I've touched on already that prog for me kind of started to sort of go downhill after seventy three seventy four because a lot of these bands they'd had success, mm. and it's like um that thing where like um if you're all sort of on the same page wanting to achieve something you all sort of make the effort and you compromise to an extent because you're all sort of searching for the same goal but sort of with many of these bands um once they'd reached some form of success uh either sort of members would start leaving and it became a bit of musical chairs as to sort of who was actually in the band or they would just basically sort of do sort of similar albums really and it's just like, oh, it's another concept album or it's another, you know, keyboard, you know, workout and stuff. It's like, well, we've heard all of that before. So I guess kind of prog for me died out in the 70s. But then again, you had sort of bands like Marillion and Pendragon who sort of came out in like the late 70s. But then Marillion sort of became quite poppy when Fish was the vocalist. But after he left, I think they went a bit more proggy. And I think there's still like a sort of market for prog, but I think it's gone back to being a bit more niche. I mean, you could sort of argue that a band like Muse is prog, but again, they've been able to sort of do that Pink Floyd thing where they can do sort of proggy sounding stuff, but make it accessible to sort of wider people.
Hello, property. How are you doing? Oh, no, get young, good John, be quiet. What? You, sorry, it's not very polite. I've just, just turned up and you're telling me to keep quiet. Yes, but Paul is recording. He's, he's recording? Oh, well, I suppose I should have guessed that. Who's he recording with? Oh, he's recording with Muffley. Uh, they're talking about music. Oh, yes, them too, they, they, they like their music, don't they? Uh, what sort of music are they talking about? Oh, it's uh, prog rock. Prog rock? Prog rock? Oh, dear, oh, dear. Oh, oh, they should have asked me to join in. Oh, I don't like to boast, but, but I like to think I know quite a bit about prog rock. Have they mentioned Jethro Tull yet? No, I don't think they have. Anyway, uh, Muffley has chosen five albums, so um, Jethro Tull may not be one of the five albums, but... Uh, oh, oh, well. Uh, so they're in the studio together, are they? Yes, yes, they're in the studio. Oh, and... Uh, Muffley wasn't just out in the car park a minute ago, was he? What do you mean? Well... Now, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know him that well face to face, but, uh, uh, but I could have sworn I saw him in the car park uh, when I was just sort of wandering through. Oh, well, well, it wasn't him. He's been in there with Paul, talking for the last twenty minutes or more. Unless you saw him arrive. No, I, I, no, it, I must be wrong. It must just have looked a bit like him. Yes, most probably. You know what you're like, Kitty Uncle John. Oh, your mind goes wandering. Well, oh, so what have you been up to? I'm, I'm trying to listen to the boys. Oh, can't you listen to it when he edits it? Oh, I suppose that I will have to. Yes, what have you been up to? N n nothing, a great deal. Uh, you've been uh, hanging out with Milo. Look, I, I'd rather not talk about Milo at the moment. Oh, I'm sorry. Blimey. Well, I feel quite unwanted. Are you going to ask me about what I've been up to? Yes, Yeti Uncle John. What have you been up to? Oh, well, I've been busy in the taxis, driving people about. I expect, uh, you know, you must have a similar life of busyness what with, uh, uh, you know, working in the, the supermarket. You, you, you still are working in the supermarket, I take it? Yes, it's only temporary. I mean, part-time. But, uh, yes, yes, uh, it, is, it is very busy. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Maybe we should swap jobs. You know, it might give us a better understanding of each other's work. Oh, you think, Uncle John, I, I can't drive. You can't drive? Did I know? Oh, of course you can't drive. I'm sorry, Cromartie, it was a stupid idea. Yes, it was. Now, if you don't mind, I want to listen to... I want to listen to Paul and Mufti talking about the prog rock. All right, it's fine. I'll just sit here. I'll be quiet. But will you? I mean, will you be quiet? Yes, I'll be quiet, for goodness sake. God, look, um, just, I'll, shh, be quiet, shh. Well, be quiet then. All right, go on. Listen, you listen. I am listening. Well, I'm glad. 
I might listen as well. You know, just to make sure that they get it right. Yes, it's Uncle John, the expert of the prog rock. Uh, well, that's one of the names they used to call me. <laughs> yes. Did you just wander into prog just in the way that people like you and I who are interested in music wander onto it or you have influences with other people playing it to you? Or? That's an easy one. It would have been my brother. My brother is six years older than me. And so from his bedroom, I would hear various things. So sort of thinking back, I can remember hearing Bohemian Rhapsody for the first time and like, wow what's that that's like that's something different that's you know that's not tiger feet which i, I know has been mentioned recently yeah um it's like what's all this galileo galileo stuff and then um yeah he got into dire straits which isn't prog but it was like sort of it seemed to be sort of grown-ups music as you were or sort of you know to me it seems sort of very sort of grown up but then he he sort of went through a big sort of mike oldfield phase so sort of i think i've got my brother to thank or to blame for the prog thing uh but interestingly he sort of grew out of it he sort of just went on to other things so i think by this stage he was at sixth form then uni so he was listening to things you know he was listening to the cure new order joy division and other things like that talk talk you know so his sort of tastes had changed so it was very much him's but like um it was the case that i um would listen to his albums and i was very much oh i want to sort of hear more of this and that's um that's how it and then um i was very much the class classic sort of middle class sort of boy that um, my parents decided that i needed to learn the piano so from the age eight or whatever it was i had piano lessons found them absolutely tedious so i gave up after a few years but then a few years later when i was at um secondary school um i had a friend who had a really good piano teacher and so I picked up piano lessons again and then what happened was it was around that time that quite a few kids at school were getting into bands and it was the classic thing that you'd have maybe one or two drummers but then about 20 guitarists <laughs> and maybe one or two singers but the um you know the bass player spot seemed to be empty and so I took it upon myself thinking right you know there's a gap in the market here and so I taught myself to play bass and then before I knew it, I was in three different bands at school. So that's kind of sort of the start of my musical journey. And I guess that sort of from there, you know, I got into playing bass and playing the guitar and this, that and the other. And prog was a good thing to sort of listen to, not necessarily to ape and do some kind of 20 minute epic, but you can sort of think, oh, it's nice what they did there. It's a bit like when I listen to a uh, jazz FM these days, I'll hear something and it's like, ah, oh, I like the, the fact that you've done that. And very much the fact, um, things that I do for the podcast, um, I'll hear something in jazz FM. I won't copy it. Just putting it out there. Um, but I hear, Oh, they're using the Rhodes piano there or like, Oh, they've put a Selena string ensemble with a phaser or like, you know, they've got like a nice fat bass or a vocoder. So, yeah, I suppose prog was part of my musical education, really. I suppose I was sort of the opposite to, to you, you in that I didn't have an influence. So if I anything for a while, I might have been an influence on my brother. Um, we certainly had a phase where, during Britpop, where he he really liked Britpop, but was only like about 10 when it started to come about. Um, 
And I remember because I was playing the Kinks and Finnish Green Preservation Society, etc. And I remember, you know, for a while into the sort of mid to late nineties, he was very much followed what I liked, but then, then sort of went on his own way. But I, d- I don't think what he went into was half as much fun as the because because I've got, always got that pop side and that sort of it's very it's very. Often I find that some people get, they get very serious about music, and it's only like one type of music they like, and it's the very serious rock. Or it's, and I think, oh, you need to listen to some fun things as well. You need to have every. You need oh, to absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And like, um, interestingly, um, working on some stuff for this for the band that I've sort of sort of we're back sort of doing. I I sent them something, and they were like, "Oh, that sounds really nice." And they said, "Oh, it's got that nice chord." And I automatically said, "That's the ABBA chord." And they were like, "What?" I said, "Yeah, I listen to loads of ABBA. You know, sort of, you know, I should be listening to like Led Zeppelin or Deep Purple, but no, sort of, you listen to ABBA stuff, and like, there's so much invention going on there. Um, so yeah, it's just absolutely fantastic. We've probably not talked about a lot of the the bands we've talked about today, or you've talked about today, because when we did the years, we were generally doing um, things that were top ten, and a lot of these prog bands didn't release singles. That's they would just release the albums, didn't they? Very much so. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, Genesis did later on. Yes, did later on. Um, Pink Floyd did occasionally, um, but later on, um, and, and um, yeah. So, so, so we sort of there's a bit of a gap. I mean, it's a shame. And maybe we'll do it, do it again at some some point. That's one of the reasons I wanted to talk to Martin about bands, and rather than oh, this number one hit, or, or sort of picking bands that were around. Uh, but even then, um, it's, they're still singles acts, not not um, um, not, not not albums act, acts. But um, I, I was I was just thinking of the, of the bands that I think one of the problems I have is that. I always get a little bit scared of the prog of the because I'm worried there's not going to be the tunes or it's just going to go on and and I need to this I mean I probably as 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 I've said before when I'm editing I tend to I need to download those albums you've mentioned that I don't know I mean I know Dark Side I'm not sure I know any of the other ones although I think there's probably some Genesis on my early Genesis on my phone because a while back somebody was putting up on twitter like their favorite 10 albums from that year and they were a lot of them were, were prog ones and i don't downloaded a heck of a lot of stuff but as usual i then get really overwhelmed and don't listen to any of it um and uh i i uh i need, I need to listen listen to those and and because uh, as you said it sounds like um Sometimes it might be a long track, but it's made up of a little bit, a bit like I guess the Beatles with Abbey Road, where with on, on very on much side so, two yeah. with all the little songs that, but that's like one long. Very um, much so, yeah. And I, I really, I really uh, like that. Oh, I have some facts from when you were saying um, Robert Fripp, of course, also known as Mister Toyer. Indeed, uh, yes. Um, and he's he been plays, entertaining people yes, over lockdown. Uh, and he plays on her um, most recent album. And appears in the videos, and he is such a, such a sport. <laughs> she gets him to. I mean, I presume it's her her ideas, the the weirder things, but it may be his idea. But he get he gets into the spirit of them and and, and dresses up as a bee or a dinosaur. Or yeah, yeah. Because um, um, I bought the Toya album and it came with a video album, and um, 
so there's a video for each track and and the, him and the other people in the band doing little dances and things and, uh, like in, in the middle of the song uh, uh, he's quite a long way from king crimson but very much so uh, yes um but but you know he's they're having fun and they're doing things together which is probably the main thing but um also pete sinfield you mentioned i believe he wrote lyrics Bucks Fizz. For Bucks Fizz, yes. Um, and a make believe. Again, again, a very <laughs> a, 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 a long way from King Crimson. But, um, but a but, good song because it's on the surface, it's a very jolly song. But then, sort of, you listen to the lyrics and they're like sort of quite sort of biting, which is which is great. Yeah. yeah. Um, when it comes to Pink Floyd, I think I probably, I mean, I I did did have a, a close friend who who was very into Pink Floyd and it was around the time I think Doctor Who was coming back in about 2005 it was and possibly when Pink Floyd was having a, a big reunion and around that time and and he was um like it, he was as excited about that uh, or or as I was about Doctor Who and I I sort of I mean, I think he thought Pink Floyd was far more important than Doctor Who, but I had to kind of <laughs> say, well, no, this, this this is my version of what you're going through is what I'm going through. I think I did manage to kind of make him understand. But uh, um, but I think previously I'd mainly been in, in, interested in um, the the, uh, the very early Sid Barrett um, mm. uh, stuff. Yeah. But, now, obviously the thing with me as well with Pink Floyd is that you know, they're very much associated with Cambridge. Yes. You know, there's a track, an early track called Granchester Meadows. And you mentioned Sid Barrett and like, like everyone in Liverpool has got a Beatles story. Mm. It always seemed that everyone in Cambridge had a Sid Barrett story. Like, yeah. oh, I saw him in the pub the other night or, oh, do you know, he's working in the punts over the summer and all this kind of stuff. So it was kind of this sort of mysterious figure. Mm. And um, yeah, uh, there's that sort of Cambridge connection. And in fact, I think David Gilmore and Roger Waters they went to the Cambridge High School for Boys, which became Hills Road Six World College, which I went to. Mm. So there you go, a little connection there. I, uh, oh, I should also mention, uh, I'm sure I have mentioned this, when my friend who liked Pink Floyd took me to see David Gilmore once, which it was more because he had a spare ticket and I wasn't sure I was that interested in his solo stuff. But then, when we got to the end, and and Bowie came on as a oh yes, uh, yeah, I've seen that. A, 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 a just uh, just for the um, encore for a couple of songs, because of course he'd covered some Sid Barrett era. He'd Boy. done "See Me Play on Pinups," I think it was. Yeah, and uh, I think yeah, he sang that night. Did he sing Arnold Lane as well? That rings a bell. Yes. Yeah. Um, so yes, I, I wasn't. I wasn't. I'm not saying I was asleep, but I was suddenly much more wide awake, <laughs> and. Uh, I believe that was one of the few things he he did after he sort of retired, uh, you know, live things that he did. Mm. Um, so that was a, a sort of sign. Very glad that at being more of a Bowie fan than a of course, Bowie yeah, fan. Um, yeah, because <laughs> I would never have. Although I say I'm a fan, I would never have gone as far as trying to get tickets for for anything that he was doing because I was more used to the, the gigs I went to with. With Callum and various friends were always the much more middle range sort of size gigs. I did. I think I went to. I saw Radiohead in about '97 in a very big venue, but that was uh, rare. Ditto. 
Yeah, I think yeah. I saw them. Yeah, it was uh, Wembley Arena, 1997, yeah. I seem to remember. Oh, we, were yeah. probably, we were probably there at the same time. Standing next but, to each other. Yes. <laughs> and DJ Shadow was the support. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Yes, that's right. I, mean, I don't know how many nights they did. It might be that we were on different nights, but we might have just, we might have. You never know. It's, 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 it's a small world. <laughs> yeah. Um, but generally, I went to things that were sort of like the, I don't know, like the Astoria or. Yeah, very um, much so. Um, yeah, or sort of. Or of the Bitpop bands I saw, I didn't ever see Blur or Oasis. I I tended to see Suede or or Sleeper or Supergrass. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I didn't see Supergrass live, but I saw Suede quite a few times, and I saw Sleeper and you know some of the other usual suspects as well. Yeah, and, and um, uh, and Pulp I I saw um, the sort of. I think they might have been the band I saw when they were the big, not not including Radiohead, but of the sort. Of, I saw them around the time that Different Class was coming out, and it wasn't long after Common People, and and I was really near the front, and I, and I was sort of oh, not worthy sort of thing. <laughs> I saw them in Frinsby Park in 1998, and I think um, was it This Is Hardcore had come out. Uh, so yeah, but I think we've. It might be you, but my favourite pulp albums, his and hers, actually. It's not yeah. um, different class. His and hers, because again, they're like we were talking about the bands previously. They just seem to be on the cusp, and that's when it sort of all really sort of just seemed to gel together, and they got that momentum. Yeah, I remember buying his and hers when it was just a review in um, like Enemy or, or Melody Maker saying it was really good, but nobody knew. Well, I mean, some people must have known about them because they've been around forever. But um, I vaguely remembered seeing the video for for Rasmataz, which wasn't actually on the album, but it was on the previous album. But again, should have been a hit and wasn't. Probably by seeing it on the chart show because the chart show was very good at sort of bringing things up which weren't necessarily hits. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I thought, well, I'll give his and hers a go, and yeah, I was very glad I did. And and uh, lip gloss is one of my favourites songs of theirs which some of these songs that should have been bigger hits and the it was it's always annoying when it happens where where their later band's later songs are bigger but actually their best some of their best stuff is is before that um very much so yeah i remember the first um catatonia album had some okay songs on well, had some. Okay, I mean, chart-wise, had some some minor hits, but probably there was much better. It was much better. I think it was way beyond blue. Might have been the album. It was much better than the albums that actually did really well from them. That um, uh, I got told off. There was a single they released called "You've Got a Lot to Answer For," and oh yeah, yeah, and I played that a lot. So much so that there was a girl in the flat below, well, in the room below me. She said, "You played that song so much that." I was sort of not sure whether to go and complain or or what I did do is go down to the record shop and buy it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think Keris probably owes me a pint for one sale. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I was like, we was like going to see bands that were kind of, or even the ones that were le- less famous than those ones, or the one, ones just where you were going to like, oh, what's it called? Was it the Alley Cat or something in Reading we used to go to? Um, that was much, that was even smaller. And I saw people like um, uh, Glenn Tilbrook just playing acoustic and he, you'd just shout out Pink Floyd and he'd do a Pink Floyd song or oh, okay. he, he could just do anything, basically. Yeah, he yeah. Was, and he and he was funny. So, so you know, what more could you, what more could you ask that he could do a brilliant cover version of, of lots of people and be funny? And, and, and. 
but um, yeah, uh, going back to going back to Prague, it, it's a bit sort of that that sort of line between the the sort of um, concept albums and the and the prog is is quite sort of quite a thin line sometimes, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah, and also the thing where the pretentiousness just overwhelms everything and it's just like okay just please stop (laughs) you've done enough now because not only uh am i familiar with the village green preservation society i like victoria which is is that the album well it's a lot got a long title that one um uh that's the one that comes the album that comes afterwards and then there's loader versus the power go round I can never remember that name yeah that's so they definitely got the right prog titles but they're not prog they're definitely just still concept indeed um is would you say is is Led Zeppelin prog I mean Uh, their their albums aren't necessarily like like yes type prog well it's like two tracks or something no um there's some proggy elements in there um not so much on the the earlier albums which are very much blues rock but they had john paul jones who as well as playing bass would play keyboards and you get to the album houses of the holy and something like the rain song and it's very much a lots of piano lots of mellotron and very sort of expansive and then if you think of um the track cashmere which mm. was on physical graffiti you could say that's quite proggy you know mm. sort of it's quite sort of um different to like a three minute sort of blues rock song so there's proggy elements i mean they didn't ah interesting i've just thought of something actually they didn't sort of go too crazy on the synthesizers although their last album i think i'm correct here in through the outdoor they recorded at abba's polo polo studios and um they used this mammoth synth which was this i think it's called the yamaha gx1 it's huge it basically sort of, you know, cost, you know, what a house costs or whatever. And um, if you think of the start of, I think it is, um, uh, is it Does Your Mother Know? Um, the That was the GX1. And yeah, John Paul Jones used that on some stuff on their last album, which didn't go down so well because people thought, oh, it's not really sort of Led Zeppelin. It's getting a bit too sort of synthy and sort of detracting. But I think, putting it politely, I think Jimmy Page had um, various health issues at the time, so he took more of a back seat. Yeah. So I wouldn't say they're prog, but they have their sort of proggy moments. Yeah, they do tend to sort of appear in those sort of lists. But uh, what about the Moody Blues? Are they more con- they're more concept album probably than prog, aren't they? They, I mean, they did. Is it Days of Future Past? About the same time as in the Court of the Crimson King. And there's like sort of big parallels with In the Court of the Crimson King because it's very Mellotron heavy. Mm-hmm. And you've got these sort of, you know, big sort of portentous lyrics and things. Obviously, the big one that everyone knows about as well is Nights in White Satin. But I wouldn't say they're sort of fully, fully fledged prog. I'd say it's more sort of weekend prog or golf club yeah. prog because yeah. they sort of, um, I think they ditched the more proggy elements um, sort of fairly early into the 70s and became sort of more sort of you know sort of song poppy orientated yeah, but, but they always had the sort of very long titles it's a bit like 
it's like the musical version of the Jalo films having sort of intricate yeah. t- t- titles. They always had long, music blues always had a sort of, because um, I did download sort of all, all the sort of um, classic period or sort of uh, albums of theirs and, and was, I think I'm, I remember being in Venice or something and kind of slowly working my way through, through them whilst I was on holiday, but I never got so far. And then of course, it's one of those things where you're, you've got the time because you're away somewhere and perhaps haven't got as much of your usual collection with you. And, and, and then when you come back again, suddenly life floods back in and, and you haven't got the time, but no excuse, but, uh, um, but yeah. Um, any other, any other areas of, of note or any, um, uh, any other favorites that weren't in your list? Uh, as I said, I could sort of probably go on for days about sort of various prog albums. Uh, I think what I decided, ironically, for the subject for prog was to keep it quite short. <laughs> but those those five were probably a good sort of um, starting off point. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I would. I don't want to sort of be be that person that sort of drones on about it. So yeah, but no, I thought I'd just choose five and sort of you know see what you think about those. Yeah, I want to try. I want to try some more. Some yes, because I feel like I probably should have, because um, sort of more aware of the the poppier end and things like Owner of a Lonely Heart. Of course, that was the big hit, yeah. yeah. Um, but and, and also Rick Wakeman, did, when I, I think it's when I was living in in Camberley, he was doing those sort of tours where he would turn up in in, in places like Camberley, and, and I think I think he might even be live in that area somewhere because um, I'm sure he turned up quite a few times we really should have gone and seen him um, uh, to, just to sort of you know see what was going on but uh, and I I, I I do want to try some Peter Gabriel Genesis because I like well I say I like Peter Gabriel but again I'm more familiar with the 80s Peter Gabriel or even into the early yeah. 90s Peter Gabriel yeah um, but Foxtrot's a good starting point I would say yeah, yeah. I think, if anything, I'm a little bit more nervous about the early Peter Gabriel uh, albums, solo albums, because you know the one or two tracks that are big, but I'm kind of like, what, what else is on the album? Yeah, like I've never really warmed them. I mean, I know sort of stuff off them, but like, I wouldn't say I'm a die die hard Peter Gabriel solo fan either. And I haven't got tickets to see him either. I know he's oh, touring this year. Yeah. yeah, I remember around the time jumping much, I, I think probably in the... Uh, late 80s or early 90s i i started sort of exploring the the 80s albums there used to be a when i used to visit my great aunt in reading there was a, a shop that sold secondhand tapes but it allowed me to sort of try just try things because they're only two pound and uh, um and, and you think well i might as well try an album by that that band but sure. obviously they, didn't, they didn't have much prog obviously otherwise i would yeah. <laughs> or, or, or i might have got their sooner but uh, uh, but i remember around the time that his I think was it was the the album with Steam and um, Kiss That Frog and so yeah so because I was going to say up but that's the one before it isn't it I think um, and uh, I remember a lot of of that music ending up on the unofficial edits of Sutton Park episodes around the same time <laughs> uh, and I think I think we even either it was coincidental or I just thought this song has to go on it. I had a beanbag frog who became like a time-travelling frog um, and if you touched him, you time-travelled and, and I remember dubbing Kiss That Frog on on, ah, on stuff with, with, with him but uh, um, Peter Gabriel doesn't know, so shh, don't tell. 
that uh, of course that's the one thing about putting Sutton Park on YouTube is that uh, uh, it doesn't have any of the music that it used to have on it. Because, uh, of course, yeah. I, I mean, I did I did edit the first a thousand episodes of Sutton Park, um, like with, with music of the time or or so or, um, and we, we, Nick and I used to to joke that if there was an episode which had a lot of music, it was a it was a bimbo or himbo episode because it it didn't have much it didn't have much you know plot in way of plot so so uh, it just it just it's all visuals yeah. but uh, uh, well anyway Muffley um, thank you very much for um, telling us um, about your, your top five or at least your prog your, prog your primer, if you, yeah, yeah prog exactly. primer if you want to call it that yes yeah I'll, um, I, I will I will I, I will definitely. I would tell you my homework. Um, and uh, listeners, make it your homework too. What if you've got one of those? If you've got one of them music plans like I do, where it's not going to cost me anything to do it. It's just, yeah, it's probably best just to start with three or four or five or whatever. Because yeah, when I went and did that top twenty or whatever that was on Twitter, it, it, I was like, well, where do I start with this? Uh, and I, you know, and uh, but uh, yeah, well. Um, We'll we'll um, we'll say goodbye for now, and uh, thank you very much for joining us. And, uh, Not at all. Love to speak to you, Paul, as always. Um, and uh, we'll speak to you again soon. Okay. okay. Bye bye. Bye bye for now.
psst. Oh, it's your Uncle John. How are you? Oh, Vaughan, is, is, is Muffley going? Is Muffley going? He's just getting his bags and stuff. I've just got to speak to him before he leaves. Oh, yeah, it's weird. I was just saying to Cromarty, I thought I saw him out in the car park about half an hour ago, but it couldn't possibly have been him, because as Cromarty said, he was in there talking with you. There's, there's definitely a, a guy. I saw a guy. Must have been seeing things. <laughs> you must have been seeing things, yes. How are you doing? All right. Yes, I was interested to hear that you were talking about prog rock. We were, yes. Well, Muffley was the expert, uh, and I, you know, I knew some things. Yes, it's a quite a detailed uh, subject once you get into it, it really is. Well, that's what he was saying. Um, but we, we just picked certain groups, or he picked certain groups this time. Yes, well, well, I don't know if you knew, but I'm quite the expert in prog. So maybe next time you talk about it, you might want me on the panel alongside Muffley. Uh, well, maybe, but, you know, sometimes there can be too many voices and... Oh, I get the message. I get the message. My views aren't worth knowing. I never said that. Look, Muffley's coming now. I need to say goodbye to him. All right, all right. Oh, I don't know when I'm not wanted. Oh, get the Uncle John. Oh, dear. Muffley. Oh, well, Muffley, I think that went really well. Yeah, I mean, it's been a while since I've sort of talked about that kind of stuff. So, as I say, um, it's um, one thing that... Um, I think Toby Haydock mentions it actually on his podcast is that if you like something, you shouldn't be ashamed of it. And like, if it's prog rock or if it's, you know, sort of disco or whatever, yeah. you know, it's far too easy to like, sort of have people say, Oh, that's rubbish. Well, no, if you like it, you know, that's, that's good enough. Yeah. yeah. I think I spent most of my childhood liking things that weren't popular at the time. And even if they later became popular. <laughs> Long may so. that continue. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm kind of, I've always been kind of like, well, I don't care. I'm, um, even to the point of getting a little bit snobby during the Britpop era of what I could listen to. And then like maybe popular things coming up in the background and thinking, I kind of like them too. Or I kind yeah. of like that song by Britney Spears. I'm not really yeah, going no, to like absolutely. that. And, and, and then kind of going, going oh, sod it. doesn't matter. I just like all of it. Uh, uh, but it, uh, it's, it is sort of difficult to, um, yeah. Uh, so, so, some people are a bit too self-aware about what they're liking. Or, indeed. Indeed. But, uh, yeah, so well, I I will definitely download those albums. And okie uh, dokie, I'd like to know what you think. Yeah, great stuff. Yeah, okay. Well, I can hear the theme music coming, so uh, indeed, we'll, we'll say we'll say goodbye for now. And uh, and, and uh, yes, I'm sure I've got lots of plans coming up, so uh, I'll let you know, and we'll be back on the show soon. Ah, oh, lovely, lovely. Okay, bye bye for now. Bye bye. Are they? They've not. Oh, 
Oh, my, my fleet. There you are. I, I thought you'd gone. <laughs> the paradox. The paradox. The you autumn what? paradox. Oh, is, 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 that, is that another program? Did you want to talk about that? No, it's the the circulation of the clouds is forming into the great gathering. The great I, gathering is coming. I, I don't know what's wrong with him. Is he hit his head? Is he has taken some sort of one of those crumpety pills? Um, I, are you okay? Do you want to it, sit down? It is going to be clear very soon. But all you should know is that everything has been prepared for. And with this gathering, there will be new and interesting and intriguing ways to appreciate life and interact with other humans and other life forms. Okay. Well, thank you for that. I'm glad to know it. Glad to know that. Yeah. Right. Well, I'll make a note of it. Definitely. Um, um, perhaps. Um, yes. You must definitely um, speak about this. I'm going to run away now, listeners, right? Dantalian's Chariots. Yeah. Dantalian's uh, Chariots. That sounds like another prog album. Casts um, its fiery path. It sounds definitely like another prog album. Uh, listeners, I think it's time to go. Come the on. alignment of the stones. Something very strange going on here. Stones. The answer's in the stones. But that's good. <laughs> Quick, let's get out of here. It's been good, but yeah, definitely time to come home now. Wow. Really? No kidding. Goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. <laughs> yes, goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. This show is part of the Pride 48 Network. Find more shows over at pride48.com. <laughs> What's going on now? Oh, it's the Shy Life Podcast. Let's go. I have a voice. I have a voice. You have a voice. You have a voice. We have a voice. We have a voice. Unique voices in podcasting. Univospods.net. That was very strange. What was that, Paul? Very strange. What, what was very strange? Well, I thought Muffley had left. And yet, there he was again. I mean, he's left again, but... Did you see him come in or, or, or go out? Yes, I saw him leave about... around the time the theme music played. Well, yeah, that's when I saw him go, but... I was just talking to the... Uh, I was just talking to the listeners, and then... There he was again, but... He was... He was talking, strangely. I don't know what he was going on about. Um, it sounded almost robotic. Oh dear, Paul, that doesn't sound good. I just wondered what had happened. He didn't fall down the stairs of your laboratory or something. No, the, the door of my laboratory is firmly locked. Yeah, that's what I... It was just very strange. Um, I do wonder... I wonder what... Uh, what that's all about. Hmm. Pooh.
that Muffley on tour. He, he was really weird. You saw him? Yeah, I saw him just a minute ago. He came through the living room again. Was he rude to you? Did he not say hi? No, it wasn't that exactly. He was muttering about portals and strange things and, well, I, I, I couldn't make a head nor tail of it. And it's very odd because he was perfectly normal when he left. You know, after I saw you, I spoke to him and said goodbye to him and and, and he left and then I thought he'd gone and then suddenly he was here again. But he was, like you say, going on about portals or weird stuff and I, I couldn't. I could make head nor tail of it. That's very strange, Paul. And, and you don't think there can be two of them, do you? Don't think there can be two of him? Well, I'm not sure. Well, I did think I saw him out in the car park earlier, but you said it couldn't have been him. Well, no, it, it couldn't have been him because he was in the studio with me. I mean, how can there be two muffly on tours? Well, Paul, aren't there two coconut gyms? Uh, yes, there are two coconut gyms. But that's because, well, there are two people... Portraying Coconut Jim. Uh, we, we don't like to talk about it. I know you don't like to talk about it. It's just very odd. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. Either the original Muffley was having a funny moment or something else is going on. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, it wasn't another actor playing him because he looked the same. And I did see... Well, I would swear I saw him out in the car park. Oh dear, Paul. I have a nasty feeling about this. What? What do you think? I don't want to say anything. Not for the moment. Let me do some research. All right. Do you think I should mention it to Muffley? Oh, I wouldn't, Paul. Let Cromarty do his research first. All right. All right. I wonder. Oh, now you're making me think. Yes, well, it's time to go now. Yeah, it's time to go. <laughs> goodbye, listeners. Yeah, goodbye, listeners. Yes, goodbye. Bye bye bye. Two mufflies. <laughs> Could it be like a robotic fatty situation? Robot muffly on tour? No, Paul. I think it could be worse than that. I think it could be... Well, let me do some research and I'll let you know. Oh, blimey. Oh, blimey. Oh, boy. He's had all that shy is right. You know what I, you know what I wonder? What a new world size shoe do you think the shy yeti wears? <laughs> I don't know. I just wonder. <laughs> that Paul is, is a great guy. <laughs> no, I think that was a wonderful episode. But I've heard that Paul's extremely nimble. Podcast is one of them. The answers in the stones. 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 The answers in the stones.